Hey, welcome to the Happy Ramp Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always in studio by my good friend and partner in radio, Barnabas Piper. Pipe, Ronald J. Martin is uh, doing what Ronald J. Martin loves to do the most, which is uh, take pictures of the hotel room season and and probably tweet them out to you, but um, text them to me. Uh, I know Ronald <laughs> is in a happy place when I'm seeing pictures of his breakfast and his uh, hotel rooms from various places, so... Uh, kudos to you, Ronald. Way to get on the road. Um, I don't know when he returns, but it will be a it will be a sad day uh, when that happens, Pipe. But it's just you and me today. I, apparently, Ron's schedule was so full this week um, he couldn't spare a moment for for his radio program. But, Which is a real shame because we can always count on his Wi-Fi to work when he's not in Ohio. But yeah, his internet is way better when he's traveling. I feel like we're missing an opportunity right now. I do too. To to have happy Ron and good internet, Ron all in the same episode. But Piper, we have to do what radio pros do. We have to soldier on uh, in spite of this, just some hard stuff that we're walking through with Ronald being gone. Um, But one of the things that's not hard about our life, Pipe, is the fact that we have sponsors. And we have sponsors aplenty. Uh, We've just wrapped our relationship with with Saddleback, so we're waving goodbye to them as they they pull out of the facility. And uh, and now we have have Dwell, uh, our old friends, Dwell Bible. So Piper, tell us about Dwell. Yeah, Dwell Bible app. Uh, longtime listeners will know that this has been a they've been a partner of ours for a good while now, and will be for the next few months. Also, uh, it is an audio Bible app for whatever mobile device you use. Um, so it is. There's a cost to the annual membership, but they are offering Happy Rant listeners a 33% discount. So if you go to dwellapp.io/happyrant, you can get a 33% discount. So you can do a one-time, lifetime membership, or you can pay annually. It's 20 bucks a year, so it's really inexpensive. But the uh, the features of the app, some of the ones that I love most, are the what I, they have a name for it, but I can't remember what it is. But it's basically you can put a segment of scripture on repeat. So if it's a passage you're teaching through, if it's a passage you're trying to memorize or just meditate on, you can put it on repeat with uh, blocks of time between for for memorization, for reflecting, for writing, for whatever it is you're doing. It's a great feature. They have all these listening plans to help you get through the Bible in a year or just keep you on progress. They have multiple narrators. They have musical backgrounds if you want something that sort of um, gives it a little bit more life and energy and, and different styles in that. And then the other thing that I love about what they're doing is that they're they're perpetually advancing what, what they do, adding features, adding technology. So they've added offline listening so you can download it and listen when you don't have a good Wi-Fi signal or when you're driving through the middle of nowhere and you don't have a cell signal, whatever it is, you don't have to use up your data, you can download and listen. Um, so they will continue to roll out those features. But again, go to dwellapp.io slash happy rant. Check out the discount. You can explore the app. I think they also have a seven-day free trial if you want to try it and just see what you think before you put your money into it. There you go, man. Dwell Bible. We are all uh, users of the product. Uh, we are all Dwell enthusiasts, and we're happy to have them on board as a sponsor pipe. But um, it, it's, it pains me to talk about this today because I know this um, – this topic is near and dear um, to the heart of Ronald J. Martin. If you peel away all the denim, like faux military jackets and, and shirts, you in, eventually get to the heart of Ronald J. Martin. And um, in there is a large section devoted to the Enneagram. Um, Ron loves the Enne. Ron loves talking about the Enne, thinking about the Enne. Um, my question to you, Piper, and this is 
like to me a really interesting like thing to think about is what's the future of the Enneagram? Like how, <laughs> how, how long until this bubble pops and then what's the next thing going to be? So are we, are we a year out? Are we five years out? Um, what are you seeing in your like church ministry context? And then I'll, I'll relate some stuff from the, the college space. Yeah. I, so thinking about past trends, so in a previous episode, a few months ago, we talked about sort of the, the previous iterations, you know, there was love languages and Myers Briggs and, uh, strengths finder and what else? I mean, those are the ones that come to mind off the top of my head, but where people can sort of list their, their thing, whatever their thing is. These are my love languages. I think love languages is probably the most, um, maybe Myers Briggs, but love languages especially is the most one-to-one because it's very much about me potentially. And also very, it's, it, and it has transcended kind of all parts of culture if you say love language now nobody looks at you like you're a weirdo or like you know it's it's an 80s album name or something it it just everybody knows what that is so i think it's it's kind of like vinyl records in that it it has survived all the trends right love languages has survived myers-briggs it's surviving the any um that thing is a juggernaut man and and you're right it's become like a cultural catchphrase um i don't know i don't know if there's any killing love languages yeah, I don't I don't think there is because I mean, it's hard to kill the thing that allows you to say this is how you should treat me better. <laughs> yeah, um, that's true. You know, if people if, are so, always going to love that. Yeah, if, if I'm able to look at you and say no, I need words of affirmation. Mm-hmm. I expect gifts, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It's nobody's going to give up that. Nobody's nobody's yeah. letting that go away. Uh I do think that most people who use it don't realize it's a book by Gary Chapman, but That's true. I think it's just sort of a cultural thing. The Enneagram, I think, is it's not quite as transcendent as in terms of transcending all walks of culture, mm-hmm. but it's way deeper where it has put down roots. Mm. So I think we are closer to a you know five to eight year shelf life on this thing than one year. I think it'll change shape, but mm-hmm. I at some point there's going to be like the the money is going to back this up because right now there are a decent number of Enneagram related books, but they're still kind of introductory in understanding the Enneagram. Dude. So who from our tribe writes the first like, um, Enneagram book for like conservative reformed evangelicals. Cause you know, it's going to happen. Yeah. That's probably under contract right now, man, to be, to be honest, Ron would love for it to be him. Uh, but it's not question. him. Yeah, know but it will be somebody out of like that church planting network sphere where absolutely they're, they're looking It'll be for some like, guy in jeans. Yeah, they're looking for or or Christian counselor could be either. Although the Christian yeah. counseling sphere is not quite as they don't tend to, to those books don't tend to be quite as popular. So I think it's it's going to be somebody who's looking at it from like a a coaching leadership perspective that kind of mm. thing. Um, so I think I think it's it's it'll probably come out of that sphere. But yeah, I think once the money catches up, where we now have like the Enneagram and you know, so yeah, like five love yeah. languages transcended, and then there was like five love languages in the workplace and in for kids and for teens and for whatever. We're yeah. gonna get something like that with any you know five you know any Enneagram for leaders, Enneagram for moms, Enneagram for yeah. whatever, and yeah. when that happens. Uh, it, it, that just builds in a seven to ten year shelf life, easy. Yeah, that's true. Dude, do you feel like there's a there's a soft spot in the Christian counseling market? In in as much as like, 
back when I was paying attention to it, there was like the, the, the Paul and Ted trip kind of generation, um, older guys. Um, I, I don't know. I feel like there's a real moment. There would be a moment for somebody like Ron, like a conservative hipster, a little bit younger than Paul Tripp. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. does that person exist? Because I feel like if they did, it would be raining money on them. Well, that's tough because I feel like counseling has sort of has sort of become polarized. Where you, I mean, it's always there's always been the dispute between you know biblical counseling and uh, you know do we go to professionals and do medication and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a term nuthetic counseling that I can never remember what it means, but it fits in here somewhere, and I'm just going to drop it uh-huh. in there so I sound slightly smarter than I am. Um, that's impressive, dude. You sound really smart, actually. Yeah, there that's you a go. Good one. That's that's what I was going for. I don't I don't remember what it means, but we'll pretend yeah. that I do. Um, so I think more and more counseling is you have just these you have pastoral counseling, which mm-hmm. is just very gospel centered, et cetera, kind of leaning on the sin side of things, sin and yeah. redemption. And then you have professional counseling, which is mental health and mm-hmm. depression and the kinds of things that, that people need more ongoing therapeutic treatment or medical treatment or, or you know, medicinal treatment for. And I don't feel like that was quite the case 10 years ago. I feel like people just sort of, because of there wasn't as much awareness about mental health, for example, people just went to the church for everything. And yeah. and that's where some of that, that CCEF, Paul Tripp, yeah. Ted Tripp, Ed Welsh, Tim Lane yeah. stuff came out of. Um, like even Paul Tripp has kind of moved away from that. And he's just moved much more into the pastoral and away from what, what you would call counseling in terms yeah. of what he writes. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, I just feel like this is the right moment for like the right sort of pleasant looking 38 year old guy, which rich 38 would look like normal 30. So he'd look 30, but he'd be 38 to, to write the kind of like uh, counseling book that was aimed at a younger audience. I feel like people would gobble that up. I just think that that whole thing is really hot right now. Man, I think counseling's in a weird spot. So having joined staff at a church, I've discovered just the the complexity of trying to figure out counseling, partly because there are landmines that that we didn't used to be aware of. Um, So if somebody's in a a position of of having been abused Mm -hmm. or of accusing somebody of that, that, that's a really complex situation pastorally Mm -hmm. to to handle. Or... um, even things like marital counseling, um, a lot of times that there are significant pastoral issues, but it's easier or, you know, maybe we're better positioned to outsource it to a counseling center, you know, something like that. And so there's just, it is such a, it, counseling has become an industry. I don't yeah. think it used to yeah. be an industry. Like there was, there were psychologists sure, and there were pastors. Now yeah. the, the overlap of the two and churches hiring counseling pastors and things have really muddied the waters. And so I don't, I think it'd be really hard to write a book that, that finds an audience there. Dude, you're right. Because the audience is getting so segmented already, like you said. So yeah, maybe there isn't just like one person who's going to crush that one out of the park. But I, I do think like if the right reformed person wrote an Enneagram book, it would, it would sell like crazy and it wouldn't be, like who would it have to be? It wouldn't be Katie. Why he's too pastoral. Um, he's a little too old manish, even though he's not that old. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know who it would be from our tribe, man, but somebody's going to do it, dude. And somebody's going to make a a pile of cashish from it. Yeah, I'm um, trying to I'm trying to think. You you just you don't run across and we talking about last episode how the reformed world is so sort of hypersensitive against yeah. like, topical preaching as opposed to exegetical yeah. preaching. Like yeah. the Enneagram is sort of the ultimate topical application of principles. And it's, you Dude, know, yeah, it's, there's it's some a very definition there. of topical. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And so it's really hard to imagine. I'm trying to think who in our camp would be would be willing to go there. Uh, I know that there are a bunch of reformed people who who read it, who are into it and in sort of oh, a totally. like they do it as a staff or church staff yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But I mean, dude, I, somebody's got to give reformed people like permission to love this thing. Um, and whoever does that will will be rich from it. Um, but all of the people who are giving reform folks permission to do anything right now are like 60 plus. That's true, man. Yeah. Or, they're the, or they are Matt Chandler, David Platt, Kevin DeYoung, who I just, yeah, it's hard to see them paying a ton of attention to this. Yeah, you're right. I think Channy has the sort of pop sensibility where he, he wouldn't do it, but I could see him doing it of the, of the three you just mentioned, he has the most sort of like pop sensibility and I, I could see him pulling it off, but um, but yeah, the other two aren't going to touch. Him. I bet Matt Chandler is a closet Enneagram guy. Like, I bet he knows his Dude, number. I bet, I bet he, he loves it. And he, yeah, I mean, I haven't listened to any of his sermons in a while, but this it's the kind of thing that pastors like him would normally sort of poke at. Yeah. But my guess is he doesn't say anything about it because yeah. secretly he he kind of loves the whole thing. Dude, I bet he rips on it when he's with like, his his pastor bros that are too good for it. Like if he and Katie Y are taking a road trip, they're ripping on the Enneagram, but but deep down in his heart of hearts, Channy's a fan. Um what do you think his Enneagram number is? Hmm. That's a good question. I mean I feel like megachurch pastors in the reformed world are I mean, I would bet he's a three. Yeah, I was gonna say one or three, man. A lot of those but, guys end up being one. Yeah, the, yeah, ones ones threes are eights. Yeah, a lot of the pastor guys I know are eights. There are a fair number of the older guys who I would peg as like fives because they they, they preach and don't like people. Um, yeah, but yeah, I would I would peg him as a three. That would be my yeah. guess. Yeah, it yeah. seems that seems reasonable. Pipe, do you like wish the enneagram would go away, or are you going to miss it a little bit when it's gone? Uh, I think the Enneagram has probably done all it's going to do for the good at this point. Uh, I think it. I think it has sort of fully, fully been. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Usurped by yeah. by people who just want to talk about themselves. You know, totally. And so totally. it's a. It it has become the kind of thing that once it enters a conversation, you're like, oh, okay. I guess. I guess that's it's been the end a great moment though for people who want to talk about themselves. This is a great moment. You know, the, the Enneagram moment is, uh, that was tailor made. Yeah. And th- this is coming from someone who like speaks into a microphone for an hour each week, uh, largely about himself. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm right in the, right in the thick of that. But, uh, yeah, I, just, is- I, I find it to be the kind of thing where like, it, it, you know, so at, at our church, which we've got a lot of, you know, 20 something folks, yeah. a lot of single folks, it's just the kind of thing where like once, once that number enters there, it just sort of. It feels a little bit like the uh, what's the Dr. Seuss book where the the creatures have stars on their heads. Um, <laughs> I don't know, but you know, so there's like they're they're the ones with stars and the ones without, and, and the ones without yeah. are, are lesser. 
It just yeah, sort of feels sure. like that where you, you sort of categorize by number or you're predictive yeah. about relationships based on number or a yeah. whole bunch of stuff that you go, yeah, none of this has anything to do with real people. No, that's right. Dude, to my shame, though, I talk about it all the time, like with KK. Mm-hmm. Um, like we'll be just going about day-to-day life and – you know, our, 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 our son Tristan will do something and we'll be like, ah, classic, classic ape move, you know, and I hate myself for it. Like in the moment, I know I sound like, you know, such a, uh, Ponzi schoolboy, but, uh, I can't help it, man. And I can't not, help myself. The thing is, it's not that I hate it or don't think yeah. it has its place. It's that it's that people are not using it in its place. You know, I, I hate being the kind of guy who likes it, but I am that kind <laughs> of guy <laughs> at the same time. I just, I feel like it's uh, like, so for example, you and your wife are, you know, you're having trouble communicating, you're like, whatever. This is the kind of thing that can help understand, oh, this is why Ted's tendency is this and KK's tendency is this. Yeah. And then, and then you can respond accordingly. Um, but, but when it's just sort of the, the banner under which humanity lives and it's the, yeah. it's like, it's like a value assessment almost. Yeah. It's yeah. pretty, or, or it pigeonholes people. Like yeah, I don't, for sure. you, you find out somebody's a two and you're like, oh, they are going to do these kinds of things. They are this kind yeah. of person, which is really yeah. dehumanizing. It really is, man. Yeah. We would never tolerate that in any other context. You know, if you made those kind of sweeping generalizations about, um, where a person's from or the color of their skin or whatever, you would be roundly castigated. But, uh, but we're allowed to do it with the Enneagram, which has been, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Piper, we, we've, we've talked about your number, right? We've, we've ascertained that you're an eight. I am, which is maybe part of the reason I hate it, because when people find out you're an eight, they immediately like back up a step and a half and decide they don't like you in advance. Yeah, they decide that you're a certain kind of douche, and they, <laughs> they write you off. Listen to this, though. All my good guy friends are eights. Like, all, all of my best friends, you know, almost across the board as guys are eights. I, th- I think fours must be drawn to their convictions. Um, but, but yeah, as a four, like... It makes sense that I can't enjoy the Enneagram because I, I just won't allow myself to enjoy anything. Um, also, you don't, those, also, you don't like being labeled and defined. That's true, man. Along those lines, though, along the lines of labeling and defining and enjoying things. So before I came up to the, to the studio to record this, I was in class and I was chatting with a guy. And we decided that like the kinds of guys who fish or like tinker in their garages with cars are the happiest kinds of guys. And I'm like, I want to be that kind of guy. Like, you meet those guys, they're never unhappy. They're always like, yeah, I'm taking apart my 67 Mustang and doing blah, blah. And I'm like, these guys are always happy. And I'm almost never happy. So I, I think I need to start fishing or, like, taking apart cars in my garage, Piper. What, what do you have to say about that? Uh, I think it depends on how you define happiness. I think yeah. often those guys... Uh, are happy, but that's also because they just don't care about much that happens outside their garage. Yeah, or I would love to be that kind of guy. Or their fishing hole, like when yeah. they when they are trying to catch, you know, a smallmouth bass or whatever. Like that's all that really exists in their world. And there is some there's some really healthy aspects to that, but yeah. I don't know that it's a way to live. I think it's yeah. a I think it's a way to escape. Yeah, I think so. Which sounds nice, man. And and as a, as a four, this. Dude, I want to I want to lay a scenario on you, and then we'll get off the enneagram. I promise. But uh, this this happened to me the other day. I was recording my other podcast, and the host like alerted me to this website called Chartable. I'm sure you've seen Chartable. Um, it's where they rank all the podcasts, and you can see like how you're doing in Finland and Zimbabwe and all these other places, and it's kind of fun. But 
Um, the very first thing that comes up in Chartable when you when you search for your podcast name is reviews. And we've got all kinds of positive reviews, like all kinds of five stars. But the first two reviews just right now that come up when you search Happy Rant Podcast are savagely negative, just vicious. Like, I hate these guys. These guys are the worst. And Man, I haven't looked at our reviews in months. What, Dude, and that, I hadn't that either. That like, amazing. Ever, almost ever. Yeah, Chartable, you can, you can look at them. But I read these two reviews yesterday, and I got legitimately bummed out. And I think, like, an eight would not get bummed out. I think an eight would be like, screw those guys, they're wrong. And, <laughs> you know, you would just feel fine, right? <laughs> Pretty much. I mean... I think we've talked about this because we used to we used to periodically read one star reviews of our books. Um, yeah, which was brutal for me, just so and, hard and so funny for me. I found yeah, that yeah. to be, I found that to be just a delightful experience. <laughs> in because every single one of them I looked at and I was like, oh, well, this is why they're an idiot. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. and. Hey, people have a right to not like my books, but at least dislike them for reasons that that include th- like reading and thinking. Uh, yeah. And they just yeah. didn't. They're like, I expected this to be something different than what it was, so I hate yeah. it. Well, that's yeah. on you. Yeah. Whereas the four, I think, has that experience and goes, "Wow, maybe they're right. Maybe I'm an idiot. Maybe I'm a fraud. Maybe I should quit." Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I mean, failed, a, I failed to deliver what people were looking for. I failed to deliver what people wanted and what they were looking for, and. You know, maybe I'm I'm just the worst. You know, um, so four should not read reviews. I think that's the the takeaway from that conversation. But I mean, um, do, do you find positive reviews uh, equivalently uplifting, or like, is it no. is, so? The negative is really bad, and the positive is not equally as good. Yeah, I think with a positive review, I'm just relieved that is that it's not negative. You know what I mean? So it's not like a an, an equivalent level of positive emotion. It's just sort of like relief that i dodged the bullet of a negative one you know what i'm saying well you know who you sound Uh, like who you sound like tom brady well i've heard interviews with him where he's you know he is relieved after wins Mm. and miserable after losses like a a loss will ruin him until he has a chance to go out and redeem himself and a win is like well yeah that's what we were supposed to do like the best he can feel sort of a sense of okay next job up there's no like even I, he's even talking about like after Super Bowls, it's just sort of like yeah. a, he immediately moves on. So yeah. uh, he he must be like the four of the NFL world. I bet he's a four wing three man. I I, I really bet he is. But uh, you know he's kind of always changing his look. Kind of a creative guy. Um, yeah, I can see that. And and he looks like me. So you know at the end of the day, <laughs> like and our bank accounts are similar. You know I have tons in common with Tom Brady so much. He's got. He's got high-end sponsorships. I have high-end sponsorships. You know, at the end of the day, we're, we're pretty much the same person. But, um, Piper, I want to talk about, now that we're in the kind of in the realm of pro sports, I want to keep it here for a minute. Uh, I want to talk about this little crackle of controversy that we got from the NBA a week or so ago um, regarding China. Well, quick, for, quick trigger alert for listeners. Yeah. We're not actually talking about basketball. This is much That's more right. like global cultural stuff than it is basketball. Yeah. It just pertains to a, a professional sports industry. So yeah, zero don't, percent don't basketball leave. content. Stay yeah, with don't us. Don't leave. This is not Happy Rant Sports, nor is it Happy Abby, our Downton Abbey spinoff podcast. Um, you, can, you can stay with us. But I was interested in this pipe because the NBA has, has for about – how long has Silver been there? Six years, five years? Yeah, six or seven, I think. Yeah, so kind of for as long as Silver's been there, the NBA has really hung its persona hat on, you know, free speech and letting the athletes have a platform and and 
kind of being woke for lack of a better term. Steve Kerr has really like leaned hard into wokeness as a persona thing. And I think as a college professor, like my, my relationship with wokeness is always one of like, I have to be really woke for my students and really not woke for their parents. And <laughs> you're just trying to like walk that fine line every day. But, um, figure, in the NBA, figure out who you're what, lying to in any given moment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I can't forget who I'm lying to. Exactly. Um, but in the NBA, this is like by and large, I think, uh, resulted in a lot of positive PR for them. But um, it it backfired for the NBA in that uh, Houston Rockets GM Daryl Morey tweeted something about um, Hong Kong, um, and then LeBron James tweeted something about maybe Morey shouldn't have tweeted that, and then everybody turned on LeBron James um, for his lack of you know wokeness, at least in that as it pertained to that issue, and um, I it. it it, to me, I, I can't hear about any of this pipe without thinking about the era where we just didn't know about the politics of any athlete or entertainer, really. I mean, the, the, two, the two parts of their lives were separate, but now uh, with the advent of social media, it's, um, it, it's kind of a thing that they're having to navigate all the time. What, uh, what, what do you make of this? I find it really fascinating because so, so the, way the, yeah, so the whole, way the whole thing started is General Manager for Houston Rockets, Daryl Morey, tweets something in support of the protests in Hong Kong. And, he, you know, he doesn't make a long diatribe. It's just he used a slogan that they use and essentially expressed a level of support. Well, yeah. the Houston Rockets have huge business interests in China. They One of their former star, star players, Yao Ming, was from China. And so they have shoe contracts. And they're, they're, they're one of the favorite NBA teams there. And... Just the NBA is one of the most global, professional American leagues. Um, and so like the Chinese government basically held the NBA's feet to the fire and was like, "This he, he should be fired because that's not acceptable. Adam Silver says uh, he supports Maury's right to free speech. And the Chinese government, well, which, realizing it's not, it's not a total monolith, I don't, but, but it kind of is. Um, a representative from them responds and says, we don't believe free speech applies to matters of the state and of politics and criticism of government, which is to say they, they don't believe in free speech um, because right. <laughs> because that's the whole point of our amendment as the First Amendment is that people can speak out against government freely without, you know, risk of, right. of being charged with a crime. Um, right. And. And so it, it's just a, it, they're, they're, the implications of it are huge. And then you get athletes who are ba- mainly just they're just like, I'm a brand. I'm trying to sell some shoes exactly. and, and, and win some championships and whatever. Uh, they get sucked into this. So LeBron is basically like, yeah, I kind of wish they'd leave it alone because I'm trying to make some money here. <laughs> and then exactly. he, and then he gets destroyed by yeah. by the the uh, the protesting side because because that's exactly the opposite kind of stance that was taken with somebody like um, Colin Kaepernick, where the right. money is not the issue, the rights of the people are the issue. And yeah. and so it, it's essentially sucked people who are completely unprepared for this kind of debate into it, and now everybody's just no commenting right and left. Um, yeah. And which is ultimately probably the best solution, because... Yeah. I mean, for the NBA, it's the best solution. I don't know. Sure. And for fans, it's probably the best solution. Uh, it might not be the best support of protesters in Hong Kong and around China, but I don't know what the NBA is like. I don't. I don't know what the NBA's role in that is. 
Dude, right. I mean, if you're the NBA, you're trying to like spread your influence into these countries. And the NBA has been really aggressive in that part of the world in a way that, you know, like, like the NFL just hasn't made that part of the world a priority as much. Um, but yeah, it, it gets dicey when there are like major political differences. But with, if, if the only thing you have in common is basketball. Um, but we live in the kind of world where people on both sides are making statements all over the place all the time and you can't really control it, then, um, yeah, it makes it hard to be in a business relationship. Right. And I mean, the best thing the the very, very best thing that happened to the NBA was game starting two nights ago. Um, because I, I do think this one will, um, it will die a natural death in the news cycle, but it, but it did give, I mean, it gave, to me, it gave interesting insight into how, politics have become and when i say politics i don't even mean like trump versus whoever but just personal politics have become such a plank in the like persona building platform you know even for somebody like steve kerr who you know a decade ago steve kerr was just the white guy jacking up threes on the bulls when i was growing up and then you know five years ago he became the architect of this you know uh, multiple championship winning dynasty and now he's sort of like woke tweeting architect of the dynasty and uh it's just it's it's weird you know it's uh it's it's not good or bad it's just a it's a strange like context to have to think of coaches and players and and um it's kind of for now the unique purview of the nba i think when it's and it's weird because even even thinking of steve kerr as like the the woke whatever which i mean the number of times we've used the word woke just makes me a little bit nauseous um you talk about that why i i hate that word so much it just yeah i mean i hate it too i think why do you hate it there was a there was a window of time where it meant something because there was very much a shift especially in in issues of like race relations where people went from i've never thought about this to i'm now thinking about this like it was an awakening sure sure now it is a mostly self-proclaimed statement as as almost like a status thing where it's a like i'm i'm one of the good white people essentially uh-huh. or whatever. And so yeah. somebody like Steve Kerr, it's frustrating to me because his dad was a foreign diplomat uh-huh. who I think was murdered hmm. uh overseas. Uh-huh. Uh he was I think he was an ambassador maybe. Um yeah. and so like his his history of international relations of race relations of being globally aware is dramatically different than uh, I don't know Stephen A. Smith and and his upbringing, or Charles sure. Barkley and his upbringing, or Daryl Morey and his upbringing. Like there's, so he he's kind of he he and Greg Popovich are the two most outspoken NBA coaches on this stuff. Well, Popovich yeah. went to um, I think he went to West Point and uh-huh. and has served overseas and different i mean there's just there there are different levels of awareness thoughtfulness intellect and yet because they work for the nba there's just a a blanket perception of you are an entertainer you know yeah. and yeah. which is mildly aggravating to me uh but also yeah it just i it's it's frustrating to me that we look so heavily to the words of somebody whose whose primary responsibility is drawing up X's and O's for professional athletes. So that a guy athletes. can throw a ball through a yeah. hoop. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, really, what? Yeah, who cares what Steve Kerr thinks about any of this stuff? Um, and I, I say that in the in the nicest way possible, right? Like, why would I get worked up about about that necessarily? But 
I think what's what's tricky about it though is that if you are any kind of a public figure, I mean, including like you're a pastor or you're a college professor or you're you have a podcast or whatever, like I think sometimes I feel like the expectation is people want to know like where I'm at on that spectrum. And I actually feel in in my heart of hearts okay about where I'm at on that spectrum, but it's not a persona plank. Yeah. You know, it's it's not a thing that I lead with. Um and I don't know that it ever will be, but I, I feel like sometimes like because of when we're alive, there's the expectation that you have to you you have to like fully, you know, make it a persona thing, you know? Yeah, it's the the persona aspect of it is it happens by accident if you're in public. If you make any statement that is heard publicly, it is now a persona thing, even if you were just trying to even sort through your own thoughts or, as in this NBA situation, are caught totally off guard by a situation that's outside your area of expertise, but you now have a persona as siding with one side or the other, um, that kind of thing. And so, yeah, you just sort of like LeBron is now wearing a label. Now, he'll shed the label. People will forget quickly because we have an immediate news cycle. But uh-huh. he's wearing a label of taking a side, and Steve Kerr is wearing a label, and at, you know, yeah. Adam Silver's wearing a label, all based on trying to navigate something that none of them have any business navigating. <laughs> That's true. And you know what? The more and more, I think, I mean, Nick Nurse isn't wearing a label. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I think probably not talking about a thing that you don't have any business talking about is probably the best way to go. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's yeah, just in, old in the moment, cowardice talking. In the moment, you'll be criticized. In the moment, people will be like, oh, you should take a stance on this. Why aren't you saying anything? But big picture, it is best to say I, I'm not prepared to answer a question on that. Dude, it's funny, though. So, like, why do we why do we expect – and i got to keep this quick because I know i got to go and so do you. But why do we expect certain people to take a stance and certain people not to? For example, like Bill Belichick, most successful NFL coach in the history of the game – you know, has been on top of his industry for 20 years. Like zero times have we ever asked Belichick to like expound on some political thing or take a chance on it or, um, you know, back some candidate or whatever. Like he's he's just the last guy that we would expect that from. Um, and I wonder why we have certain expectations for him that we don't have for, you know, NBA coaches or What's, I think I think players. it is I think it is the stance that the NBA has taken where they the NBA to their to their credit yeah has invested in societal issues i don't know that they've always done it well but they yeah. have they have more aggressively and progressively tried to be aware of the the racial issues in the country uh-huh. and in the league so you mean you remember back to the dress code that was instituted maybe early 2000s yeah dude, that i totally ba- remember that it was basically the anti allen iverson dress code cuz iverson yep. was like blinging big chains baggy clothes what the league Throwback thought jerseys. like and and it was the jailblazers era so everybody was like yeah. oh these guys are all thugs which is just coded language for you know racism and uh and so they they put in basically a business casual dress code. Yeah. Well, shifts over time, and they, they haven't swung the envelope back the other way, but now they sort of are like, let's feature our guys as fashion icons. Totally. Let's, let's, so brilliant. Yeah. So brilliant. And, 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 and getting in on uh, LGBTQ support. And, of course, our listeners are largely not going to be in favor of that, but societally, it's, it's, the, it's a progressive move. 
Um, it's a you know, or would be viewed that way. And so, because they've done that, though, they are now attached to issues, not just basketball. The NFL only exists for football and money. Yeah, basketball exists as a platform for personas, personalities, voices, declarations, yeah. etc. For better or for worse. Yeah, you know, um, and like you said, that always doesn't. It doesn't always break in the right direction, um, but it is fascinating to think about. Uh, Piper, it has been uh, it has been fun to wander to and fro throughout these issues with you, and uh, I, I need to I need to let our audience know that we will talk about John MacArthur and Beth Moore. Um, I've gotten emails about this. I'm sure you've gotten uh, hit up on on social media about it, Pipe. We uh, we will talk about that. We've been given strict orders by the producer of our program, Ronald J. Martin, to not talk about that until he can be back and be a part of it. Because, uh, because which, Ronnie is nothing if not full of very pointed opinions on this podcast. <laughs> I was going to say, at which, at which point he will dance around the, the issue and not take a side. But uh, I guess he wants he wants the opportunity to do that um, in person on the radio. And, and who are we to deny him of that, Piper? You know, It's not our uh, place. Yeah, he needs to travel and then come back and be noncommittal about John MacArthur. So... Uh, we will we will look forward to that next week. Piper, we've wandered to and fro throughout these topics. Check out the Dwell Bible app. And until next time. The Happy Rant is brought to you by Resonate Recordings. If you go to ResonateRecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer. So if you're considering starting a podcast, they are the ones we recommend going with. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see their prices, to connect with them and ask any questions, and to see what they can do to help you launch, edit, master, and improve your podcast. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see what they can do to help you launch and improve your podcast. A crazy world out there, moms and dads. I'm Katherine Seegers, host of Christian Parent Crazy World, the podcast that tackles tough topics to help you be a godly parent in an ungodly world. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.